The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. This is a hoop ball presentation, so make sure to check out Hoop Ball online, hoop-ball.com, on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets. Uh, happy to be here talking NBA draft. It's around that time, draft lottery, like I said, this past week is just under a week away. And I look back and I realize I haven't actually mentioned anyone outside, like maybe maybe Cade Cunningham once or twice. So I'm happy to get one of the best in terms of NBA draft content. I have Stone Hanson. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at report underscore court. Uh, and he's an uh, NBA draft contributor for um, on Twitter at lines and also the co-host of the Upswings pod- NBA draft podcast, which dope stuff. Definitely make sure to check that out. Most importantly, though, he's a Lakers fan. And from one to another. A rough year, but you know what? Uh, till next time, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully next year. Definitely, man. How you doing? Thank you for coming on. Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm excited to talk about these these prospects we have today. Um, always up for anything draft related, so this should be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, I really, I'm one of those people who don't get in the draft until. Just around this time, just because I know where my bread is butter is not in terms of evaluating prospects, although it's cool to do what we're going to do, kind of workshop different players and get a synopsis of who they are and, you know, their type of archetype and whatever. But I think this draft's been talked about for two years now, because for as long as the draft was last year in terms of the lockdown and um, the bubble and everything, that draft was the most, like, studied and, like, looked at in terms of, you know, strengths and weaknesses again and again and again. And then I remember just from being a, a – content consumer a lot of people talk about how strong this year's draft would be back then and so here we are and i wanted to start with like the cream of the crop because there's four guys that we've heard about most of the year um obviously number one which is Cade cunningham but you've also had evan mobley jalen suggs and jonathan kaminga and so i kind of want to just kind of focus on those guys can you give like a brief little who are they type of feel um and kind of how they've gotten the buzz they've gotten pretty much for the past year and a half yeah um i think uh, so for me, at least, it, it's been pretty much a Cade and Mobley as the, the top two guys for uh, the past few years now. Um, I think probably the consensus, at least for like probably at least the last two for, for the general consensus, um, those guys have been, you know, the top two uh, it's pretty much solidified in their spots. Um, Cade is just, I mean, you can't really undersell Cade at this point. He's a... Uh, does it all um, mm-hmm. a point forward kind of archetype uh, 6-8 really polished already um, at Oklahoma State didn't have a ton of help uh, or Oklahoma State excuse me didn't have a ton of help but um, it just pretty much created the offense on his own um, really good shooter facilitator uh, defender like pretty much anything you want from a player Cade does it so oh. it, uh, it's there's really no holes in his game, I would say, at this point in time. Um, the only thing, I guess, is like any sort of elite athleticism, but uh, we've seen guys already, we're seeing guys um, totally function without that, so it's not a concern for me at this point. Uh, Evan Mobley is um, a seven-footer who plays almost like a wing at some points. Uh, really interesting. Um, we're seeing, obviously, the this sort of new era of big men. Um, but before in the past, it was sort of the uh, Chris Epps, Porzingis, where the, the three and shot blocking sort of thing, uh, which Evan Mobley does. Uh, but he's also a really quick processor, which is something you don't see for a lot of big guys. Um, so he's able to uh, facilitate and pass uh, at, a, at a really high level um, for his height. So he's also really, really interesting, an elite rim protector, um, should be able to be a, a serviceable shooter at the very least. Um, so there's a lot to like with Evan Mobley. Uh, the other two guys you mentioned, um, Jalen Suggs, he's a really safe bet in my opinion. Okay. Um, he's someone, I mean, he's going to have a long career. Like you're, you're going to draft him and I, I feel really comfortable saying like he'll be your starting point guard for a really long time. Um, how high his ceiling is, is, 
is something I think people may differ on a little bit. Um, he's a really good two-way player as a point guard, too. Um, defensively, he's really um, capable of uh, sealing off the point of attack defense and uh, a really smart uh, defender as well, positioning himself well, communicates well. Uh, uh, kind of took on a little bit of a leadership role for Gonzaga, uh, even though he was a freshman and really young. Um, so he's just someone I think that you, you're really going to uh, feel comfortable kind of handing him the your the keys to the offense and not be too worried. Um, I'm not really sure, like offensively, if you're going to rely upon him to maybe be your number one guy for a lot of uh, a lot of the time. But okay. um, he, he's just a really safe player, in my opinion. Uh, with Kuminga, he's someone. He's interesting because um, a lot of draft Twitter has really lowered on him, uh, myself included, actually, oh, wow. and over the past couple months. Um, and I think Jalen Green has sort of become that um, that number four, and, and five is where it sort of opens up. Um, and for me with Kuminga, I have him all the way down, like at 15 now on my board. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a lot of people that have lowered on him. I think because of the fact that a lot of a lot of things have to develop right for Kaminga in order for him to be the player that everybody thinks he can be. Um, at this point, uh, I'm not sure if you're around for like the or how many of your listeners even were around for like the 2018 draft. But um, if you remember, like Kevin Knox was someone who was really a lot of people liked, uh, myself included as well at that time. Um, but a lot of his game was based upon uh, hypotheticals and projecting him as to what he could be without much production to back it. Uh, and okay. I think that's sort of the case with Kaminga at this point where he's very enticing and there's a lot to like about him as a two-way um, sort of combo forward type player. Um, but at this point, there's, there's so many things that have to develop properly for him to get there. Um, and it's really difficult to project how many of those things are going to come together for him at the next level. Okay. I, and see, I'm glad you mentioned Jalen Green because that was someone I definitely want to touch on there. But uh, Kaminga was interesting to me because I was struggling to find <laughs> – excuse me. <laughs> I was str- – <laughs> it was hopping out. All right. I it was str- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was funny. But I was struggling to find, like, a comp for Kaminga. Yeah. I was looking at different, you know, scouting reports. I'm always on – you know, you have this – I'm all, all of them because I figure you get yeah. a more holistic view that way. But I, is it – unfair to maybe put him as like what Ben Simmons is now in terms of someone I mean obviously Ben Simmons had like potential like superstar like my but my star has definitely like lowered on him um of course he is the known commodity but also he's just not developing at what he could be while still keeping many of the weaknesses he had coming into the NBA but yeah. I look at Kaminga and you know you talk about him being a two-way forward having the archetype of a, like you know a wing that fits modern times but at the same time you know made just 24% of his threes in the G League and I mean I knew his shooting was an issue before I even knew what he looked like just from hearing about him in so many podcasts and it doesn't seem like that's changed even yeah. as he played in the G League so like what do you see him as I mean and games number 15 wow I mean that's definitely a drop since he was talked kind of high and you see where yeah. I was there but um yeah where, where do you look at him as someone who like I guess needs the ball maybe but not really the most effective with it or is that unfair yeah so I think um well I guess I'll start by saying I have him 15 but uh, I'd be shocked if he's not number five come draft night like he's still gonna go top five so I just want to oh. make that clear um but yeah, but that said I think Probably the, I mean, the main difference, obviously, being is is Ben Simmons is like an elite facilitator. I don't really think uh, Kaminga, that's part of his game uh, at this point, at least. Um, but uh, yeah, the the development issues are, is obviously sort of the the parallel there. I think with Kaminga, there's a lot, um, like I said, there's a lot that has to go right. And I think it, it is. If you're drafting him that high, he's going to command a lot of usage just because of the pedigree that he has. Um, but I, I think teams, you know, may not be as comfortable with that going forward. Like you've mentioned, just he's not really there offensively yet. And uh, I'm not really sure, like I said, if in time he may be that player, he may be worthy of it. Early on, it's not going to be that case. Uh, that's not going to be the case. But I think. Um, I don't want to compare him to someone like this, but I think I, I think just in terms of develop 
developmentally. Uh, I already mentioned Kevin Mox, but also like a, a Siku Domboya where these guys have sort of a, a pedigree in, in the body and everything of, of that modern-day forward, uh, but it just doesn't come together for them. Um, so I, I don't want to unfairly co- compare him to that because obviously each player is their own, uh, and every development isn't linear for each guy. So it, it's difficult to say. Uh, but the, the reason I have him at 15 is there's just more guys I feel a lot more comfortable in developing uh, than Kuminga. Okay, no, that makes a ton of sense, definitely. Okay, well, I appreciate the insight on him because he's a player that is most intriguing to me in terms of archetypes because you see kind of the do-it-all kind of on-ball facilitator combo, guard forward in Cunningham. You kind of have a, a guy in Jalen Suggs who's that kind of fiery shooting guard, you know, Evan Mobley kind of versatile center. Like, I see these types of players, and I can yeah. easily draw from other players in the NBA that – more or less fit that type of mold. But then you have guys like him, um, a guy we'll get to later, I guess, I'm intrigued by, like Scotty Barnes, that I'm more curious about. But um, real quick, circling back, because I completely missed him on my own uh, sheet. I added him just a little bit ago. But um, what about Jalen Green? And I'm just shy. I, I, I acknowledge my draft ignorance and forgetting all about him there. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jalen Green's, uh, he, he's sort of like the known scoring commodity of this draft. Um, I think this draft is viewed by for the most part, is that top five, like we mentioned, with, with Cade, Mobley, and then uh, Suggs and Green in some sort of order for most people, and then Kaminga is generally fifth. Um, and with Green out of the bunch, um, outside of maybe Cade, he's probably the person that uh, most most scouts in, in front offices uh, and just evaluators in general see as uh, a really strong bet to be like a 20-point-per-game scorer or more. Um, I mean, he's got it all scoring-wise. Like, he makes a, a fairly high-level de- degree of difficult shots, um, three-level score. The, the question with him, and he's super athletic too, uh, uber athleticism, but the, the question with him more so is, um, like, ball handling is sort of an issue with him. It's not quite as tight as you would like for someone that's going to be uh, your presumed number one option if you're picking him that high. Um, and... Some other uh, concerns in terms of uh, maybe not being like an elite facilitator at this point, or not even elite, but um, uh, above average even uh, facilitator at this point. Um, so there are a little bit of questions with him, but it, he's a really safe bet, I think, uh, much like an Anthony Edwards, just in terms of being uh, someone who can immediately come in the league and be uh, a high usage, high level scorer, um, and how much that contributes to to winning or how much uh, ancillary skills he has beyond that um, is still left uh, as a little bit of a question mark. Okay. Got you. And that's interesting. Cause I was going to go into that kind of transcending a little bit from here. You said, you know, um, he's one of the more NBA ready, like scores here of these five players. And I'm going to, it's a two part question. So I'll start with the, of these five, you know, um, between Cunningham, Mobley, Suggs, uh, Kaminga and Green, although I guess we kind of have a consensus on Kaminga here. Who is most ready to kind of step in and, you know, with the most minimal adjustment, whether that's because of the role that they play or the role they'll be assuming? Because in my mind, I was thinking Cunningham, but he's kind of wherever he goes going to be the guy. And whereas maybe a guy like, you know, Green can just slot in and be the same guy he is now. But from someone who's kind of been scouting these players, who do you look at and go, okay, you know what? From wherever I see them draft, they can probably just slot right in and be an immediate contributor without with the least amount of hiccups. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's still Cade. Um, he, I mean, but depending on what team he goes to, is that's kind of the beauty of Cade is he's going to be, uh, his role can be shifting. Um, he can be your lead ball handler and facilitator uh, for, let's say, like an Orlando Magic, uh, or he can be more of a scorer um, for maybe even like a, a Detroit Pistons or something. Um, so his role can kind of mold into what you need him to be. Um, and that's sort of the beauty of Cade and really in whatever position you put him, I feel like he's polished enough to take on that role, uh, pretty much from day one. So, um, uh, my, my answer would be Cunningham for that, for that question. Okay, for sure. And then just kind of before we move on to the next category, um, are there any of the players that you put in this core, like franchise prospect group? I mean, technically we dropped Kaminga, so we can't yeah. like nominate somebody else. Uh, yeah. So. This is a really unpopular opinion, actually, uh, that I'm pretty sure only me and, and my co-host on the Upside Swings podcast, Bryce, have. But uh, for us, it's it's Kai Jones. Um, mm. And 
most people have him where I have Kuminga, like around that 15 range. Uh, but with Kai Jones, he's someone that uh, there's so there's so many uh, development areas he can become. A re- there's so many uh, aspects to his game to where he can become a good player. There's paths to uh, being impactful. Um, I mean, as a six, he, 6'11 center or power forward, however you want to put him, um, oh, wow. I mean, he's really capable of playing even a small forward role just because of uh, his, he's able to switch out onto the perimeter um, pretty much seamlessly. Uh, a decent enough rim protector, showed upside as a three-point shooter, as a passer. He, he just got so many paths to um, being an impactful player that I really buy him at the number five slot uh, where most people have Kaminga. Um, obviously he's not going to go there come draft night, but um, that, that would be my answer there. That's cool. I mean, someone, like you said, that big who can swing to the three in this day and age in the NBA and, you know, like you said, switch out, shoot the three. Archetype-wise, that's perfect fit. And so, I mean, yeah, if he's not picked, obviously, like you said, where you would put Kaminga, I guess that's a great steal for somebody in between five and, I don't know, where, 15 possibly, I guess he could fall, right? Yeah, um, his draft range, yeah, is probably like the back end of the lottery starting probably between like somewhere between like 10 and 20 is where I would guess okay. at this point. Um, and he's going to be a little bit of a project, too. He's not going to come in. Uh, like we said with Cade or uh, Jalen Green, like from day one, and be that sort of player. Uh, it's going to take a couple of years, but um, you kind of see the impact right now, like uh, Nick Claxton has had for uh, Brooklyn in terms of just being that switch big. Uh, he's probably their best defending big at this point. Um, and Kai Jones can do that while offering more offensively, too. Um, so that's why I, I really like him. Okay, okay, for sure. Uh, that's interesting. I'm glad that you brought him up because that's somebody now that I can. Well, first acknowledge haven't done a whole lot of research on him, so now I can turn my attention to that over the next couple of days before the draft lottery. Because this is honestly about the time I start really going yeah. in, which it's good and bad. Because by the time I get in, yeah, do I know pretty much anything outside like the top four or five names? No, but there's already been a plethora of content from creators like yourself, from others, yeah. you know, that I can just just dig into. And exactly. then now we can actually start putting these players on the team. So I'm not doing it prematurely and being one of those, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I end up being on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of people. Is what right? Uh, right around now is sort of when this draft um, really starts to take place. Like the week of the draft lottery is when people start to become really interested in what uh, what's been taking place in the draft world. Um, so it's a good time to start because that's when I think most people are going to be getting into it. Okay, definitely, definitely. I'm glad you. Encourage that because that's going to continue my, my constant habit there. But um, I want to kind of move – I called it sleepers, but really as folks I don't know as much about, I call them sleepers because the other ones I always know about. But I want to kind of single out the Johnsons first, and I didn't even realize. At first thought it was some kind of mistake between Jalen Johnson and Keon Johnson. And intriguing fits, I actually was reading an article about how Keon Johnson might fit on the Magic. Um, shout out to the um, pinstriped um, – Pinstripe Horror, I'm forgetting the name now. Um, <laughs> SB Nation, uh, Atlanta Magic Affiliate, really good article on him, and I kind of learned a little, a little bit more about him. But what can you tell me about those guys? And literally, I'm grouping them together for nothing else aside for their last name. So if they have a similar play style, then I'm going to pat myself on the back. Uh, they're actually very different players, but the. Worth the... <laughs> <laughs> <Where> a <to> try. <laughs> yeah. The, the parallel being the athleticism with them. Um, they're both very athletic for their, their positions. Uh, so I guess I'll start with Keon first. Um, he's a shooting guard out of Tennessee, uh, around 6'4", 6'5", um, uber-athletic, uh, really good defender. Um, the question with him is he is 6'4", 6'5", uh, so the versatility on defense sort of becomes a question. Um, how high can he guard up a position? Can he guard uh, threes or small ball fours? At this point, I'm more skeptical than others. That's why I'm much lower on him than a lot of people. Um, he's not really a great ball handler. He's not really a great shooter. Uh, there's a lot to be desired for him offensively, but defensively and athletically, uh, I mean, he's leaps and bounds along uh, a lot of these guards in, in those categories. Um, with Jalen Johnson, it's really difficult because he had such a limited sample size at Duke. He only played uh, a very limited amount of games before he ended up uh, leaving the season. Uh, I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it just didn't seem like uh, he really enjoyed his time there at Duke, so he ended up ending his season prematurely. Um, Jalen Johnson is, is my personally, my most difficult evaluation in this draft. He's, he's a power forward kind of, um, he's like six, nine, and he's got a really big frame. 
Um, so I, I would guess he slots in at power forward for most teams. Um, although he's able to switch out right on the perimeter a little bit, um, can guard small forwards and, and even small ball fives at times. He's super athletic, but I have skepticism in terms of how that translates because uh, at Duke, he didn't really show him using his athleticism a whole lot. There is a lot of times where um, he, there's little flashes here and there, but he, he didn't consistency, consistently use it to his full advantage. Um, and but, but as a playmaker and a passer at his size, it's really interesting too. Um, he's got that big frame, like I said, and he really he does see the floor well for his size. Um, can be someone who even like gets a rebound and pushes it up in transition. Um, and defensively, he's he's also really uh, smart and um, he he makes the right rotations. Uh, he does use his athleticism as a shot blocker. That that is one way he uses it. Um, but yeah, there, there's questions offensively with his shot too. Um, that, that's a big probably theme as you get more into the draft that you'll notice too. Is a lot of these guys. I uh, like it sort of is every year, but I feel even more so this year. A lot of guys are very dependent on the shooting coming around, and, and Jalen Johnson falls into that as well. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and so Jalen is the shooting guard who's not really – is that uh, – I got big. myself – Jalen's the, big, the shooting guard. The shooting yeah. guard. <laughs> yeah. I got myself mixed up on the – Yeah, it's going to happen. That's what's different together. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, and I guess that's that was actually a question we could interrupt kind of we're here because I was wondering about that. Um, in the 2020 NBA draft, I heard that a lot. You know, you had between um, 20, shooting 29% from three for Anthony Edwards. You had LaMelo, you know, Tyrese Halliburton with his shot translate. Um, Killian Hayes, a, a bunch of guards and, 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 and forwards, swingmen, who the question was, their shooting was a, was a swing skill. Is this draft even more of that, or is it less of? Is it just because of more time to monitor? Because for the most part, you know, Halliburton um, – um, LaMelo and, you know, he improved markedly down the, rap- the stretch of the season. I'm talking about Anthony Edwards, improved their shooting. Killian Hayes had an up and down season. Shooting was not great for him, but more or less, some of those guys kind of worked it out and became at least decent shooters. But this draft, I'm hearing a lot about that. Even the guys you mentioned at the top, you haven't said knockdown shooter on anyone yet, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cade would be my, I, I feel really comfortable in Cade being a high level shooter. Okay. Uh, Mo- Mobley, too, as at least a, like a, um, standstill shooter or, or spot up guy uh Jalen green even uh Suggs too should be um a, a good shooter uh, the knockdown shooters uh come later in the draft i think like the, the real snipers um like like a cory kispert or a trey murphy or chris dorta even um those guys that'll go they're, they're a bit older too um so they're going to be a little bit more devalued uh they'll probably go in the late 20s um but those guys are the real like knockdown shooters of this class. Um, there's guys too like that have questionable shooting at this point. Um, maybe someone like Josh Giddy, um, who it's questionable for some people. But um, we're gonna talk in- about him next. So that's okay, good. yeah, that will transition then. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Giddy is is interesting. A lot of people actually are, are super high on him. They have him. I've seen him as high as five for a lot of people. Wow. Um, where he's had really solid production in the NBL, which is where Lamelo played last year. Um, he towards the end of the season has started putting up like triple doubles on a regular basis at his age. Um, I believe he's only 18 and like one of the youngest in this draft too. Um, he he's six eight, 220 pounds, um, which is massive as a point guard, and he's an elite facilitator. Um, he's really unorthodox too. He he plays at a really slow pace. But um, what people like about that, too, is that he's he controls the pace. He controls the game at his own, what he's comfortable with. Mm. Um, and obviously that height gives him a lot of advantages in creating uh, for him himself and, and for teammates. Um, the question with him is the shooting and the defense. Uh, obviously the frame is going to give him a lot of leeway defensively. Uh, being 6'8", that's just a massive advantage on a lot of point guards. Um, and then uh, offensively with the shooting, I tend to buy it because a lot of the indicators that we look at with shooters um, is generally like touch, um, free throw rate, uh, free throw percentage, and like three-point percentage and three-point rate. Um, and he checks a lot of those boxes um, from three, not so much. Uh, but mo- for the most part, most of the other boxes he checks off well. And mechanically, there's nothing wrong with his shot. Um, so he's someone I feel a little bit safer on betting uh, in, in terms of being a shooter than, than say, like a, a Scotty Barnes or somebody like that. 
Okay, cool. You are doing great on the transition. I was going to get to him in a second, but I, I wanted to you, you mentioned LaMelo. It's a horrible analogy, but I'm the king on this show of horrible analogies. I made one comparing Patrick Mahomes to um, – I meant to compare him to the Ravens QB, but I showed my lack of football, and I was grasping for straws, so I ended up grabbing Derek Carr. Uh, uh, knowing I don't even know who that is, so that's uh, – Well, there you go. It, yeah, exactly. It, it just wasn't a good fit. So I'm going to do the same here. Probably not as good, but you're talking about shooting again, swing skill – um, he was in the NBL just like Lamelo, led the NBL in assists just like Lamelo. Who's the better shooter at this stage going to the NBA? Having seen the way you know both of them have shot in the um, or in that yeah. league. I mean, for me, it, it's Lamelo. Um, oh, because wow. yeah, because uh, <laughs> I mean, at, at least projecting forward, um, like we've seen throughout the season. Uh, I know he was injured for a good por- portion of it, uh, but Lamelo had like very deep range. Um, uh, obviously, on the floaters are a really big thing with guards too in determining like sort of touch and in shooting projection. Um, and Lamelo is obviously has great touch and in, in floaters. Um, Josh Giddy is still good, but not quite at Lamelo's level in terms of that. Um, but I, I buy Josh Giddy being serviceable enough to be a guy who can spot up, uh, maybe be like you know a 36% type shooter from three. Uh, nothing too crazy, but um, serviceable enough to where defenses have to respect it. Um, probably not a guy who's going to, you know, take you off the dribble and step back and, and sink a three like Alamelo is capable of. Um, obviously not consistent at that yet. Um, but I, I don't really see that as part of Giddy's game at this point in time. Um, but there's enough there for me to buy him as being serviceable. Okay, got you, got you. All right, so we're kind of moving down. I have three more players I kind of really want to just touch on here. Um, the first is Franz Wagner, who I have heard – a little bit about, um, obviously his brother, you know, the the, the greater Wagner, Mo <laughs> Wagner. Um, yeah. Shout out to him when he played for the Lakers, but I know he's on the he was on the Wizards. He's been on a few teams now. Um, my first question yeah. is is France better than his brother? Which is a half joke, but also I'm curious. Uh, yeah. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then throwing the dumb question away, what does he bring to the table? Where do you see him fit? Um, you know, in, in the league. Yeah. Um. So he is better than his brother, but they play much <laughs> differently than each other. Mm, um, so Fra- Franz is a, a wing, um, a big wing. He's like 6'8", 6'9", um, <clears throat> and really, really long. Uh, and what I like about Franz is he, he knows how to use his length very well. Um, guys who have physical tools, um, whether it be you know like insane athleticism or, in Wagner's case, just really good length, um, being able to know how to maximize that to your advantage is something I really look on for players. Um, I mentioned Jalen Johnson, like with his athleticism, he hasn't been able to do that yet or show that yet. Uh, but with Franz, he has um, on the perimeter, especially defensively, um, he can really be like a ball stopper uh, defensively with, with his wingspan and his length. Um, he gets into guys' grills, uh, has really good hands um, for deflections. Uh, there's just a lot to like for him, with him defensively. Um, he's really smart, too, makes the right help reads. Um, offensively, the, the biggest question with Franz is, is shooting. Um, he's going to be, if you're taking Franz, he's going to be a glue guy. He's not going to be someone you're, you know, really relying upon as a, as a like a consistent scorer for your team. Uh, but he's a really solid, probably secondary initiator. Um, he can make plays for his teammates, again, utilizing his length. Um <clears throat> decent finisher be- because of how long he is too. Um, although he needs to learn to finish with his left hand more because he's very right hand dominant at this point. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, shooting is, is probably Franz's biggest weakness at this point. Uh, but again, I do buy it as being serviceable as at least like sort of a uh, average spot up shooter who can, you know, hit the open shots when needed. Okay, cool, cool. Speaking of, Open shots and shooting in general. I, I got to, before landing on our final one, we have one more. Uh, Scotty Barnes. Well, one more after yeah. Scotty. But I want to talk about him because I've heard shooting is a weakness before I hear even his strengths. But kind of talk about him and, and where do you see him fit in? Is he someone like a Kaminga? Is that something totally different in terms of archetype? I see there's a few of these kind of like offensive-minded in terms of maybe initiating or, or ball-handling forwards who just have a horrible shot. And it's, it's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um yeah, there's a couple of them, but with, with Barnes, he's very interesting because he has a super athletic frame, um, super strong. Um, he uses his athleticism in, in unorthodox ways. Not He's not like your typical run and jump type guy. Um, okay. he, he uses his strength and length more to his advantage. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and he is a, a really solid passer and facilitator for his size. Um, that's something that 
you know, all throughout high school, people have raved about uh, being 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and being able to do the things he does is really intriguing. Um, and then defensively, he's, uh, I mean, he really has the ability to be like a one through five uh, sort of defender and be good at pretty much every position. Um, shooting is really the big question mark with him. Uh, the, the issue with Scotty Barnes is his mechanics look totally fine to me. Um, there's no like any sort of hitch in his shot or anything, uh, but the indicators like he's a really poor free throw shooter, um, has pretty much no touch around the rim, uh, oh, no wow. floaters or anything. Uh, so he's an interesting case study because mechanically everything is there, uh, but just all the the indicators that we normally look at in terms of projecting a shooter aren't. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he develops in that in that sense. Uh, but he's a really safe bet to be some sort of productive player at the next level just because of what he brings uh, defensively and as a playmaker uh, out of position. Okay. I mean, that's that's an interesting look at, I guess, a player who should be very intriguing. Where do you think he falls? You had mentioned, um, I think we were talking about, um, I forgot who, um, Giddy or was it Green? Someone who's going to be in that 10 through 20. That yeah. So, like, do you think that Scotty's in that same area? Do you think a team might swing a little earlier for him on potential and the defensive fit? Like, where do you think he kind of falls? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned Kuminga kind of being that, that consensus number five for most teams. Mm-hmm. So right around six is where it opens up, and it's it's really difficult to project. Uh, but I would say between, between like, six and ten probably is Scotty's range at this point in time. Uh, summer, summer in that range, uh, in sort of the mid lottery, um, uh, is probably where I'd bet on for him to go. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. All right. I got one more guy. I've heard a little bit about just random NBA podcasting so far, but what's the buzz around Moses Moody? Is it just the name? Uh, what, what can you tell me about? Him? Cause I really am going in not knowing anything about him as of right now, but I, I feel like I've heard about him. Yeah. Um, I actually really like Moses Moody. He's a really safe pick for me again um he's someone who is i mean he's kind of your classic three and d archetype um he he's really strong uh as a three-point shooter um obviously if people watch the uh the tournament he kind of faltered in a few games towards the end and i think that may have dropped his stock a little bit for some people uh but i still remain high on him because i'm I'm not going to really let three small games sort of uh cloud my view of a, a much larger sample size I saw of him, uh, where he was a really productive three-point shooter, um, showed good touch, finishing. He's still very wiry in, in terms of his frame, still kind of weak. Um, so finishing, he, he tries to, like, uh, he's a little bit adverse to contact at this point in time. Uh, but, you know, with some NBA strength and conditioning, that, that can sort of change uh, as he develops. Uh, and then defensively, he's, um, I, I think he's, not as good a defender as a lot of people make him out to be in terms of like sort of an elite defender or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he should be like a really good defender. Um, uh, at the very least, like a net neutral defensively, he's not going to ever hurt you on that end. Um, someone who he gets a lot of comparisons to is like a Chris Middleton. Um, oh. And I think in terms of play style, that's really fair because uh, Moses Moody too is a very underrated passer in my opinion. Um, he's not probably someone who's going to make like as many off the dribble moves as maybe a, a Chris Middleton. Um, but in sort of that role, I can, I can see it, um, but probably his higher end outcome, obviously, cause that's a really productive player. Um, but, but that's sort of the, uh, mold you're looking at with the Moses Moody. So I, I really like him. That's cool. Okay. Wow. I appreciate the look into that. I think definitely need to see comparisons to a player like Middleton, but that's really neat in terms of kind of projecting where you could fall um, and performing a Middleton light roll or something. All right, so yeah. any other guys that you want to bring out that you, like, either want to pump up some more or haven't heard enough about that you feel like listeners should kind of be at least, you know, aware of the name or anything like that? Yeah, uh, there's probably a, maybe, like, a couple of guys here. Uh, one guy um, I was actually lucky enough to interview early on in uh, on my podcast, and he's been really active, actually, in, like, the, the draft Twitter world is – uh, Vrend Blindberg um, okay. out of Belgium. Uh, he's like a 6'10 playmaker. Um, he was like a legitimate point forward. Like he was running pick and rolls as the the ball handler in those situations at 6'10. Um, Jeez. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> a decent shooter. 
Um, still a little bit of questions there. A uh, really thin frame. That's probably people's biggest concern, especially in terms of how that relates defensively with them. Um, but there's, you don't really come across 6'10 ball handlers too much. So um, he, he's someone I'm really interested in. Um, another person I, I really like would be JT Thor. Um, he's someone who's rapidly rising up boards at the moment. Um, he's 6'10", played at, with Sharif Cooper in Auburn. Um, he's he's it's really difficult to describe him because he's he's 610 but he's like a combo forward kind of um he's gonna be really good defensively uh he's super long um and one of the best lateral movers probably in this entire class um he's also only 18 years old so he's super young um has flashes of a three-point shot uh that he he's really raw it's gonna be like like a kai jones a, a bit of a project um, but there's so many, like like with Kai Jones, again, um, there's so many avenues to where he could be a good player um, that it's really hard to see him ever not being productive at the NBA level. Um, and, and because he's so young, he's someone that you're really betting on to develop. Um, so I do like him as well. Uh, so those would probably be my two guys uh, as of now that I, I think could be getting more attention than they are, at, at least in the mainstream. Um, but I, I like moving forward. Hey, no, I appreciate that i'm thankful i know either of those two guys so get more people to add to the list to kind of investigate further and so i'm glad to kind of start the conversation here on round ball ramble but moving on to kind of our next kind of phase here real quick what are some team player fits that you might like now of course we know the draft lottery doesn't kick off till tuesday but just you know while we still have the the pleasure of being able to kind of you know put our own um fan teams together fan fits whatever the case may be um i guess nba draft cosplay if you will but um like I would be a big fan of Cade Cunningham going to Orlando. Mm-hmm. If that would work out, I think he'd be the clear lead guard offensive initiator that they would have because you do have, you know, of course, Markel Fultz, of course, Cole Anthony, but he comes in and I don't think there's a question on where he is. They yeah. can kind of shake out between the other two. Is that something you think about? Like yeah. I, I actually like, um, that's kind of the, the fit I want most. Um, I also really like Mobley there too, but uh, okay. with, with Cade, I really like, like him in Orlando because they seem to have a really good foundation of a bunch of young guys um, who project as really strong role players, mm-hmm. but they don't really seem to have that star for me. Um, and I think I Cade agree. brings that. Yeah. They, so they have, they have the guys to build around him already set in place. It's just a matter of bringing, I guess it's not easier said than done, but it's just a matter of acquiring that star uh, to have those pieces around him. Um, so they have one step of that done. Now they just need to, to complete the second, and I think Cade would do that. Um, he can be that franchise cornerstone, that that key player uh, to lead them game in and game out as a uh, you know their leading scorer, uh, even leading facilitator. Um, so I, I really like that fit there in Orlando for Cade. Oh yeah, for sure. I also like the fact that he'd be coming around with a team that's so much length and, and, and flexibility um, flexibility in terms of well flexibility is not the right word but like length and athleticism there we, we go yeah that's their it's, mo there we go exactly and you know that's yeah. been built before and it's kind of reached it's it's maybe peak right now but that's because they haven't found that one person to really take them up and away and in kate cunningham you have the guy who can soak up a lot of them on offense kind of work his way there um and, and really help them you know have that guy to tie it all together as you brought out earlier so that'd be cool he'd be one of the biggest what draft picks they had since what, Penny Hardaway? Dwight, maybe. Oh, oh Dwight. Yeah. I mean, number one. So I'm sorry, I'm yeah. thinking number one. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dwight yeah. did go number one. Didn't know he didn't. 2004? No, he didn't. Uh, I, I'm, I'm totally butchering my uh, NBA draft history. Yeah. No, he did. He did. He did number one. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, good. Yeah. Okay, I'm not that bad. All right, cool. <laughs> the second one I have is um that I'd like to see fit-wise would be Jalen Suggs to Houston. Now, this is before you even went further into him as a player, but just kind of understanding like the archetype of like a shooting guard who can kind of initiate a little bit, maybe, you know, have him alongside a guy who can facilitate better, um, at least right now, in my opinion, as a, as a playmaker in KPJ. Um, and then you have Christian Wood there as well. That's like a decent core to start with. Even though Wood's a little bit older, you still have guys that are all within that, like, I'd say a four to five year range that you could build with. Yeah. Um, with, Houston, I mean, with a lot of these teams, you really can't go wrong, in my opinion, with, with who you're taking top four. Obviously, uh, for me, Cade and Mobley are like the, the cream of the crop. Um, but then uh, between Suggs and, and Jalen Green, uh, I'm not really mad at if I'm getting either of those two guys, um, if I'm Houston especially. I, I think Jalen Suggs makes a lot of sense for them uh, in terms of kind of a it's a stabilizer there. Um, 
they have John Wall, but he's not really obviously going to be like a a long term piece for them. Um, and obviously, and maybe even at this point, he's he's better served off as kind of a high level backup uh, point guard. Uh, where yeah. I think Suggs, uh, Suggs and, and KPJ, um, it is an interesting fit because neither of them are <clears throat> really like high level initiators. Uh, but being able to play off of each other and um, sort of each contributing here and there uh, gives you that, and both can score off the dribble. Um, both are, uh, especially Suggs more so, is, is a good uh, guard defender. Um, so there's a lot to work with there. Uh, like you mentioned with Wood, um, really just an awesome center who can who can do a lot of things. Um, so uh, if you're getting either guard for me, it, it's not really a bad fit Uh with Houston because um, outside of those two guys, there's not much there to work with. <laughs> no, there really isn't. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. So that that's cool. I was going to ask you to kind of close out that segment. Uh, what fits players do you have, if you have any, that you'd like to see, you know, someone fall to a certain team, even if it's later in the lottery or in the draft in general? Yeah. Um, one that I, I really like would be maybe like uh, Sharif Cooper. Um, he's an elite facilitator. Uh Without getting too much into him in his game, he, he's an elite facilitator who um, is only like five foot eleven, um, but can make pretty much every pass in the book. It, it's very Lamelo-ish in terms of flashy passes and um, just the functionality of how good of a passer he is and seeing everything you know two three steps ahead. Um, but uh, five foot eleven, you're obviously going to have limitations defensively. Um, and at this point, at least for, as a three-point shooter, he really struggles. Um, but in New York, I would really like him uh, to see what he could do because they sort of lack that elite facilitator. Um, we even saw it kind of in the playoffs. Alfred Payton just doesn't cut it for them. Um, and Derek Rose, he, we don't really know what his future is going to look like in New York. Uh, so being able to get that um, on-ball facilitator to take a little bit more pressure off of R.J. Barrett, who can focus more on being a scorer. Um, same thing with Julius Randle, uh, where they don't have so much of a heavy load offensively to create for their teammates. Uh, I think that would be a really good fit. Um, and then also, I, I would like, um, as a Laker fan, uh, I like either <laughs> either uh, Trey Mann or Jared Butler. Um, both guards, both point guards, which I think the, the Lakers could use, um, especially if, uh, you know, whatever happens with Schroeder, um, even if he is there, there you know, we have Shooters a whole nother podcast yeah. probably. Oh, for real? Can <laughs> but, they uh, shoot? That's yeah. my question. I would like um, you know both that. Can, both can shoot. Um, so that's why I like them uh, for the Lakers. <laughs> I figured. Yeah, I figured knowing you, they probably could shoot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trey Mann is someone I actually really liked him in high school. Um, his first freshman year in Florida uh, wasn't didn't live up to the hopes that a lot of people had, but uh, this year really turned it up a notch, um, especially as a scorer. Uh, one of the best off-the-dribble shooters probably in this class, um, 6'5 point guard, uh, and offensively just kind of gives you like a three-level scorer. Uh, finishing is a little bit more of a question for people, um, but he's a really good interior passer too, uh, entry passer uh, into the post, which is something obviously the Lakers uh, like to, they love to score in the paint, so that really helps them a lot. Uh, and then with Jared Butler, he's um, a young junior. He's like 21, but he's a junior um, coming out of uh, Baylor, who just won the national championship. His teammate, Davion Mitchell, gets a lot of love. Uh, but I actually think Jared Butler is the better player of the two. Um, Jared Butler is going to be someone offensively who, uh, in my opinion, has one of the best handles in this class. Um, he can create for himself in isolation. Uh, good enough passer to for stretches be your lead ball handler. Um, so there's a there's a lot to like with Butler. I'm not really sure. Maybe he has quite the upside. Uh, Trey Mann does, um, but he probably has a higher floor. Um, which, yeah. if you're the Lakers, you're in, you're sort of in win now mode. Yeah. Um, so that that could be helpful for them. Uh, I'm personally of the belief like if you're competing competing for a championship, sort of maximize as much as you can, and maybe that pick is traded. Uh, but if they do keep that pick, those are probably two guys I would I would strongly consider from the Lakers. Okay, I like that. Wow. All right. Those are solid. I'm glad you touched on one. I was going to ask if you had anyone, but yeah, hopefully Lakers, they have lots of moves to make. Shooter's going to be a big one. Drummond's mm-hmm. a big one. I mean, yeah. again, we'll go a whole other podcast if we did that, but Raffle yeah. has to work some magic for sure. But um, yeah. my last question for you, um, well, second to last, what are you keeping an eye out for? 
uh, as we look toward the NBA draft a lot. You know, Minnesota has a lot riding on their uh, draft se- draft stock selection or, you know, Golden State, of course, where does OKC or Houston fall? Kind of where are you kind of keeping your eye on in terms of the kind of potential hierarchy, you know, up in the NBA draft? I mean, even uh, Chicago, I think, is riding on Orlando or Orlando, Chicago. There's a few yeah. I have all written down in Put my yeah. Down my pipe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously those pick protections are, are what I'm really looking at, uh, especially high in the draft. Um, like you mentioned with Orlando and, and the Bulls, I, I believe the Bulls pick is top four protected. So That's what it is, um, yeah. if it were to go top four, obviously the Bulls uh, keep that pick and that, that trade looks a lot better than it, it does right now. Um, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> but if Orlando keeps it, that's possibly two top eight picks for them, um, which could be huge for their franchise. Um, You know, and and it's probably another podcast too, but maybe they like to consolidate those for a a star, uh, whatever, but it gives them a lot more draft capital and a lot more um, just value to work with. Um, The other thing I would look at uh, when the lottery comes around would uh, be uh, where Toronto falls is interesting to me. Um, yeah. They're sort of a team that can go a lot of different ways, um, depending on what happens with Kyle Lowry. Maybe they're sort of back in the running for uh, the playoffs or being a, a strong playoff team. Uh, maybe they get rid of Lowry and they start building around the younger guys. Uh, so th- there's a lot of directions they could go. And if they were to able to, if they're able to kind of crack into that top four or three. Um, that could maybe sort of push out Kyle Lowry um, and, and set more of a give them more of a set direction in terms of where they want to go as a franchise. Um, so those are probably the two lottery teams I'm looking at, or, or lottery things I'm looking at. Um, obviously, the protection with the Warriors and the uh, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves pick as well, um, and then also consolidation. Uh, I know the um, the Pelicans, the Magic. And the Knicks all have at least four picks in this draft. Uh, a couple in the first and then a couple in the second as well. I believe the, the Pelicans have the most with like five picks. Um, so obviously teams aren't going to bring, you know, five rookies in at one in one year. So mm-hmm. seeing how they consolidate those uh, in terms of trades, uh, especially we've seen with like um, Presti and David Griffin, how uh, those are two guys that really like to uh, get involved in the trade or uh, in draft night trades. Yeah. Um, so seeing how they consolidate those picks is something I'm, I'm interested in, in seeing how that plays out. Those are all very intriguing. Like you said, a lot of this will come down to teams that really can have a bunch of picks to start with in that lottery top range and jumpstart their rebuild. I mean, Toronto's intriguing because if they got like, imagine if they were in play for like a, you know, Mobley, Green, or even a Cade Cunningham, that changes the team that in my mind is solid as they are right now, but are at a bit of crossroads because from my estimation, the players they have on that team, Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, they're good, they're solid, but they're not like the best players on the team moving forward. So do you rebuild? Do you retool? That's where they are right now. If you get a player like that, I mean, you can kind of go both ways. And so that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and then Orlando getting uh, a couple, two picks in the top eight, that'd be really cool considering where they are and the fact that their guys are young but aren't those players that, okay, we're going to lead a franchise. And now you go from having none to potentially two you yeah. know, off of one thing. That's really cool. But yeah, yeah man, it's, huh, you, I'm sorry. Huh? Oh, I was just going to say the the last team that can really, I think, benefit the most from, from doing really well in the lottery would be the Pistons just because, uh, you know, they seem to lack a lot of talent at this point in time. So getting a player of Cade or Mobley's caliber would really change the, the course of their franchise um, for the better. And uh, having a player like that, I, I think, is something they've they've looked for for a long time. Definitely, definitely. And Detroit, again, some of these teams that are down here, they're, of course they're bad, but they're fun because where they're going right now, they seem to understand that, hey, we are in line for a rebuild. There's a couple players out here that can fit that. And I'm excited for Tuesday yeah. now. I mean, <laughs> even more so having talked to you. So thank you, um, Stone, for coming on because you did really enlighten myself and I'm sure all the listeners here with some information on these guys before we kind of get into really our last weekend before we can start placing people where they're going to be and do, you know, the mock drafts in Moss. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I got to ask, before I let you go, man, where can we find what you're doing on the pipeline? Because, I mean, you have a draft show. It's only going to heat up more from here, so we know we're about to see you all over. So let us know where we can find you. Yeah. Um, so pretty much all my work I put on or, or post on my uh, Twitter, which is at report underscore court. Um I uh, obviously do my podcast with uh, two of my buddies, um, Ryan and Bryce. 
Um, we get very in depth on prospects. Um, obviously, we only have so much time here on our pros- on our podcast. We spend like an hour and a half going over like three pro- prospects. Um, I love it. For, I love it. So we go really in depth and really technical with guys. Um, and so we actually have a lot of big plans coming up after the draft lottery. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, and then also I do work for lines.com, which is, uh, updating mock drafts. Um, I have both 2021 and 2022 mock drafts up there. Um, and I, I try to constantly update those. Uh, so, and all my big boards and any other work I do can all be found on my Twitter. Okay. Hey, sounds good. You said, uh, uh, court underscore report. Uh, report under, report <laughs> underscore court. <laughs> yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. No, no, it's good. I'm glad. Make sure y'all heard me right, y'all, because uh, great content coming up from from this guy here, Stone. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, hopefully, can have you do like a draft debrief or something down the line. I definitely need to get you on here, man. Your knowledge is amazing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I had a lot of fun, and I always enjoy doing podcasts. So uh, glad Sorry. glad that you had me on. So thank uh, you. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm about to go binge watch or binge listen to your uh, pod while watching the rest of this game here, so <laughs> definitely. But listen, y'all, that's going to do it for another episode of Round Ball Ramble. Uh, of course, make sure to follow Stone at, I'm going to try to remember this, at report underscore court. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> you know where to find me at Corbin NBA, hoopball, hoop-ball.com, on Twitter, hoopball tweets. And then make sure, uh, actually, I can kind of, uh, doubly promote this, but make sure to keep your eyes on Span the Spurs in the next couple of weeks. I'm actually going to be I'm doing some work with Stone in terms of draft prospects for the Spurs, so that's going to be fun to dive into. Uh, definitely make sure to keep yourself on the lookout for that. But for Stone, for myself, we Frosty, y'all stay Frosty, and I'll talk to y'all. Well, it's Friday, so next week. <laughs> Alright, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.